Hey folks, it's been a while. This episode is all about why I've been gone, what we've been up to for the last year, something that is very important to me, very important to my family, but also very important, I think, to a lot of you. This is a journey that I've been taking for a long time, preparing, planning, educating myself on it, and over the last year, we've had the opportunity to execute it, and we're practically a month away from it being finished. And you've heard us talk about this on the episode before, on the podcast before, not on the episode before. This is the episode. Uh, you've heard us talk about this on the podcast before. You've heard me mention it probably on our social media platforms here and there. Uh, and what this is, is our journey into going off grid. And it has been quite a journey. So let's dive into it. Let's uh, give you the whole story. To know the landscape is to than you've ever felt before we know that you will love this podcast so shut your mouth and listen to canadian bushcraft this episode is brought to you by the hunter's journey online course and community have you ever thought about getting into hunting but don't even know where to begin Have you ever felt intimidated about getting into it because, well, you don't have people that want to support this exploration of food of yours? Or maybe you grew up in the hunting community but haven't felt connected to the morals and ethics of those that you know who hunt. For the last three years, my good friend Chris Gilmore and I have been running an online hunting course that has grown and blossomed into one of those beautiful communities that I've ever been involved with. With access to hundreds of hours of videos, both short and sweet, as well as long and detailed, virtual hunt camps and classes, as well as an online growing community where you can share your experiences, get help with your challenges, and celebrate your successes. The Hunter's Journey is everything I ever wished for in my hunting community. And now it can be your hunting community. To learn more and register, go to www.thehuntersjourney.com. And if you register today, use the promo code DRAGONFLY75, and you can save $75 off of registration. I know Chris and I would both love to have you, and I know the community is excited to join you on your hunter's journey. So I think before we can go too deep, because I've only got about 20% on my phone, uh, and yeah, we're recording with my phone right now, uh, the computer... As those on Patreon and those on our social media are aware, the computer went kaput. Um, I should be getting it repaired in the next two weeks. But until then, I've had to uh, jerry-rig this entire system so that the Yeti microphone is hooked up to a coupler or adapter that can connect to my phone. And we're recording on here. So if the audio is a little garbled, if if it's not as good quality as it should be, I'm sorry. I really really am sorry. Um, that was one of the main reasons we weren't able to do anything in September with the podcast. We, we had a couple episodes that we planned and those are still happening just now that we got stuff working. We're going to be recording them now and in the new, near future, not back in September like we wanted to. Uh, another reason that we were gone was uh, I got COVID about a month ago and it was pretty bad. Um, really, really bad. Um, it's, it wasn't as bad as the strains that were out before, so I can count my blessings that way, but uh, it really kicked the crap out of me. And then this past week, I was going to be, uh, we were in Pennsylvania, and you'll be learning more about that on the October uh, 31st or 29th, whatever day is Sunday, um, the Halloween episode. We were down in Pennsylvania with some really cool people. Me and Ryan drove all the way down to Pennsylvania. 
uh, like a 12-hour trip in total, I think. Closer to 10, but we made a few stops and things like that. But anyways, um, long trip to go record with some really cool people for our Halloween episode. So that's going to be coming up. Uh, that was one of the reasons we weren't around for a little bit. We we're planning that out. And then right after I got back, I was like, okay, back to recording. I can do this phone thing for now. And then we'll get the laptop fixed. And I got sick with something else. And it has beaten the tar out of me. Um, I still have COVID lung fatigue, which is one of the more long-term COVID symptoms. I've been dealing with COVID lung fatigue for a while, which makes sense. I'm, you know, asthmatic and I don't take care of my lungs very well. Um, blacksmithing, smoking, all that kind of stuff. But, um, it really has kicked the crap out of me. And then getting this other upper respiratory infection that got into my lungs, who boy, it's been fun. Anyways, I don't want to keep giving excuses of why weren't we around. I always want to explain where we were. And there was some reasons why other things had to take priority. Um, the major one being, of course, the computer is broken. We didn't have enough finances to get it fixed or replaced. Now we do. Um, but the other major reason is what this episode is about. Um, for, as I said in the intro, for some of you, you are already aware, um, either from hints we dropped during the podcast or flat out stating it at certain episodes, I am moving off grid. This has been in the works for a while now. Um, and this is where I've always wanted to go. Living off grid has always been my preference, um, has always been in the, the goals of my life. And I've lived off grid in certain portions of my life for short term. I want to live off grid, um, permanently. That's what I would prefer to be. Um, there's been very few things that are in the off grid life that were unappealing to me and a lot that were very appealing. And even when I lived, uh, lived off grid short term, anything that was kind of unappealing, I either got really used to it or the appealing parts overweighed it. And it wasn't that big of a deal for me to complain about it. So, that's where I am at this point. Uh, about a year ago, over a year ago, we got wind that my father was ill uh, and that they were going to need to move to the community so they could get better support. So we began getting this house that I live in ready for them to move into, um, trying to be a good son and, of course, be there for my family. I did, was doing everything in my power to make it so that they could move here and they could live here and they could be surrounded by my grandmother, my uncles, my aunts. Uh, all my cousins and have them here. Uh, as some of you may be aware, my father passed away in May. Uh, we were not able to achieve getting them down here in time before his health took a real sharp turn for the worst and he left us. And I haven't talked about it on the podcast because it's not been really something I want to talk about. And I'm still not ready to talk about it in detail. And I don't think the podcast is the right place to do it. Uh, if you want to really get an understanding of my relationship with my father, you can go back to season one and check out the Father's Day episode. Still plan on doing a Mother's Day episode, but I want to do it differently than just sitting there ranting about my dad um, or ranting about my mom like I did about my dad. Uh, I actually want to sit down and interview her and ask her, what is it like raising a kid like me? Uh, things like that. That's kind of, that sounds kind of narcissistic. Hey, on Mother's Day, do you want to just talk about me? No. Anyways, um, the main thing there was my father is very important to me. My mother is very important to me and their health and well-being is very important to me. So trying to get them onto the res and 
that was going to be very challenging. There's a housing crisis in most First Nations communities, flat out. There's just not enough land for everybody that's growing and living here and moving back. A lot of people live, about 66% of Indigenous people in Canada live off-reserve. They live in urban areas, uh, sometimes semi-rural, but most of the time in urban areas. And in the last 15 years, that has been changing. We're starting to see less and less people staying in the cities and a lot of them going back to their communities, which is freaking amazing like it is amazing i am never one of those people that is like all these people that are grew up off res perfectly frank i grew up off res i just grew up beside another res just not my res i grew up in bruce county in southampton ontario spent a lot of time in Saugeen, but it's not my community so i'm kind of biased and think that people who move back to their community are great amazing awesome people and i want more of that to happen the catch-22 is there's only so much land on a reserve and we're running out. And so the properties that we do own, many of them were just too far off the beaten path to make it viable for uh, living there year round. So like Camp Mud, the infamous Camp Mud is a beautiful, amazing place surrounded by nature. That road is not maintained whatsoever in the wintertime, whatsoever. And for obvious reasons, if no one lives back there, why would we maintain it? Uh, it costs money to plow roads. It costs money to maintain roads. So they just, we do the bare minimum to keep that road open for the spring, summer, fall, and then come wintertime, just let it close down because no one lives back there. It's not a priority. And if anybody wants to go back there, they've got snowmobiles, they've got real big trucks, they've got ATVs, yada, yada, yada. So that's where a lot of our property is in places like that. We don't have a lot of properties right out in the open near the community where it would make it more clever to live there if there's an emergency i want full road access if there is you know my wife needs to get to work and there's been like three feet of snow she'll probably get to work sooner if we live on one of the main roads not in one of the back roads things like that were coming up uh and then there's of course the cost of living these days the there's bungalows on this reserve like legit bungalows that have no basement they're just two bedrooms if that and a kitchenette sometimes a kitchen if you're lucky one full bathroom rarely ever two or anything like that with no other features on them going for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars minimum and that was like a year ago when i first started looking some of those houses have now sold for five hundred and fifty thousand over half a million dollars for a bungalow that has no basement, no outbuildings, a bathroom and a kitchen and barely a living room is going for half a million dollars plus in my community, in my community where there's, you know, we don't have property taxes on the reserve. We don't have, um, and because of that, because we live on lakefront, yeah, lakefront's valuable, but it doesn't have the property tax value added to that. So I, like it is impossible to buy houses on reserve if they do exist. And in other communities, there's just not enough houses. And where do you put these houses? If you do get the houses, if you have the money to build houses, do you have the space to build a house? In my community, and, and again, I'm not disparaging anybody. I want everyone to have a home. I want everyone to have a place that is exactly what they need to live, thrive, and enjoy life. However, the problem with all these houses that are coming up in the community is we're losing a lot of our nature. We're losing a lot of our wilderness and our, our backwoods. And to some people that's like, oh, that's not as much of a priority as people having their livelihood and having their living and having their home. I a hundred percent agree that there's a, per, there's a point where we got to set priorities and boundaries of those priorities. My problem is 
and this is not a real problem, this is an observation I've made, is we're losing our hunting grounds. And those hunting grounds are what everybody in this community depends on when they want venison, when they want geese, when they want rabbit, when they want um, turkey, all that kind of stuff. You need those hunting grounds. We're losing our ecology by the more houses we put up. And even if we have woods behind those houses, uh, I've had on two separate occasions the chance to take a deer in like within 20 minutes from my house walking and I couldn't take the shots because I could see a house just beyond the deer. So it's a safety issue. It's a, it's a, it's a, and again, I want these people to live here. I want everyone to have their slice of heaven. I want the, I want everyone to have their own little mini miniature paradise. That's, that's not in any way, shape or form what I'm disparaging or crying about. What I'm trying to point out is the complexity of trying to get a home here. It's been very, very challenging. And so for three months, we researched, we talked to people, we asked different people. And finally I said, screw it. Let's just, our property is large enough to have two houses on it legally. Let's just build a second house and we'll just build it how we want to build it. And we'll build it the way we want it done. And it could be off grid so that we don't have to worry about all these other, like the, the hookup for power, the, the digging of a well. All of these things have to be taken into consideration when you're trying to move off grid. And so we've got to take all that into consideration with our location and our situation. So this episode is going to be the story, our, our still going story. This is not finished. The house is not completed. We're just, you know, like maybe a month away, hopefully sooner than that, but maybe a month away. Um, potentially two months. Like we might be moving in before Christmas, but hopefully like mid deer hunt, I'll be able to say, Oh no, I can pack my things and move into the new house. Now that's like, that's, that's the goal. That's the hope and dream. That's, that's everything we've got is like in a month we can be in the new house. So that'll be the end of the story. Then of that part of the story, that'd be the end of that chapter. And then we start a whole new chapter of living off grid and all the things we have to do to keep maintaining that place and everything else. So Let's dive into that story, this part of the story of this chapter of the story. Yeah. So a few things, um, there's, there's a lot of different ways, like what is your perspective off grid, but also different ways of like setting up off grid and doing things off grid. Uh, if you look at like Dave and Kyla Maroney from Lure of the North, their home is like goals, like flat out goals. It is off grid but connected enough, but they're far enough off the beaten path that they don't get bothered by neighbors and they have a lot of freedom out there, but at the same time, they're connected enough and they've got access and they've got everything. They've got solar while running a whole shop where they build things all the time and they're creating things, which is amazing. If, if you're ever on social media, if you're on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, check out Lure of the North. They're awesome. And I've got a bunch of friends in the States that live in like freaking caves and stuff and living in yurts. And I've had a lot of friends here who lived year round out of canvas wall tents and yurts and teepees. And I've had experiences like that myself where I spent quite a great deal of time living in a teepee and living in a yurt and living in brush shelters. Um, much of my time living off grid was in a wall tent. And those are all great options, but they're very, very much semi-permanent at best. They're, they're not, unless you're building a full-blown wigwam or longhouse or cabin, you're going to have to do a lot more maintenance every year. You're going to be dealing with a whole lot more headaches every year than the other off-gridders that are out there. Um, 
so from one of the spectrum, like Kylan Maroney and Dave Maroney with their amazing, like mansion out in the wilderness. Like I, I consider it a mansion. It is absolutely beautiful. Very, very bare bones in a lot of ways, but at the same time, elegantly put together and efficient. It's a really, really good system all the way to people living, you know, in a stick hut, half the time covered in mud, just trying to keep the mosquitoes off them. Like the off grid is a very open concept. It's a very open category of, of lifestyle. So there's a lot in there for people and you can be partially off grid, totally off grid. And I'm not going to, I'm not doing this one as like a one-on-one on off grid. Okay. I am not the end all be all on knowledge on off grid stuff. Um, I'm not by any means. Uh, I want to make that very clear. I am a homeowner who happens to be owning an off-grid home. So trying to comprehend those things and create those things and, and get those categories of needs met has been a very, very fascinating journey on my part. I find it all very fascinating, sometimes very stressful. Uh, obviously you're going to have things to deal with like permits, um, Certain communities have certain rules of what your home can be. And you got to take that into consideration. In our community, we're, we follow the Ontario, Ontario Building Code Act and or Ontario Building Code. And we're very, we're very by the book on that. The problem is the Ontario Building Code is left very open on certain aspects to leave it open for interpretation by building inspectors and, and people who work in the area so they can have context in the area. We are going to be the first off-grid, totally off-grid or I would say 95% off-grid house in my community and surrounding communities. There's not a lot of people living, you know, with composting toilets and rainwater collectors and stuff like that. There, most people are living in modern houses with either gas or electric heat. Uh, sometimes someone has a wood stove, sometimes, but not a lot of First Nations communities where I live. Like, remember, we're only an hour and a half, hour and 45 from the GTA, if that. There's... Most people here live in modern houses and most people work in regular jobs. I don't. And so trying to make sure that we fit what is needed is very challenging. And so meeting with uh, chief and council, ban administration, uh, environmental health officers, things like that, to make sure that what we're doing is clean and safe. Because of course... If you're setting up an off-grid and you just make an outhouse and you live on a hill and that hill has, you know, gradients of clay and sand and, and gravel, there's going to be runoff. And if you have a gray water that's not set up properly, there's going to be runoff. And if anyone lives downhill from you, they're going to deal with the consequences. So that's an obvious concern, a huge concern, things like that, but all the way over to like... How do you insure a house like this? Who insures things like this? Uh, all that kind of stuff has to be brought up. And that's stuff that chief and council in my community are going to be concerned about for obvious, clear reasons. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, disparage them in any way, shape or form of holding back and, uh, from saying yes to our permit uh, at any stage of this build. Because it is a very new concept for a lot of our band members and a lot of our band council, as well as, you know, band administration. Um, and so because of that, we're dealing with those little headaches, not caused by anybody with malice or anybody just trying to say no. 
It's just little headaches of, okay, we have to make sure this is able to meet the code. That can be very challenging, uh, especially when you're financially, you know, invested and you only have so much of a budget. We, we are not making a lot of money off Patreon. We are not making a lot of money on online courses. And we're still a few weeks to a few months away from being able to start offering in-person classes. And as much as I want to make it sound like we're going to be able to, you know, cover every expense once we have in-person classes, I remember what in-person classes were like before the pandemic. I love you folks. Not all of you show up for classes. So... I'm not trying to spend too much. So the first thing we had to do is figure out, okay, how are we going to live? What are we going to do? We're going to build everything completely from scratch. Or are we going to buy modular? Are we going to do something in between? What are we going to do here? Well, we started looking on Kijiji, which is like Canada's Craigslist and looking on marketplace and things like that, looking for just buildings, old cabins, things like that, that we can move onto the property and just start from. And there was a few that were like 50,000 to a hundred thousand dollars. And we're like, wow, that's almost our entire budget right now. Down the road, the plan is to put more into it, um, when we need it. But like we, that doesn't include the moving of the, of the building. That doesn't include the, uh, fact that half these buildings won't pass the code when they get here, uh, or they are going to be irrevocably destroyed, when they get, when they get here, by the time they get here from how we have to take them apart, or there's a, uh, there's a time limit on how long that building can be on the property. It must be gone by X amount of, uh, X date of X month of X year. We might not be able to get the people together to move a building like that. And so we went for months looking for something. And then one day we stumbled across this, this building and it was, uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail on the building itself, but it was owned by this really cool hippy dippy kind of dude that lived over near Alliston, Ontario. And it was built out of an old trailer. It has the chassis of an old, like 1980s trailer, everything in good condition. And then basically rebuilt everything inside, outside, all that kind of stuff. And already had a composting toilet built in a very good, like only a couple years old composting to- toilet. Every person has seen this, that knows composting toilets, a Sunmar. They're like, yeah, the only thing better than that would be a separate. And well, this one's already installed. So we're sticking with this one, uh, has solar guy had nine panels, uh, eight batteries, I believe. And then an inverter and everything else like that all hooked up and all that kind of, all the bells and whistles, the, the hardwood floors, uh, beautiful, beautiful windows and everything else set up right. And the price was right. And because it had a trailer hitch, I was like, no problem. We just got to get a truck driver. It took me, we, we, we bought the place officially in August, I believe. I believe it was August of 2021. I did not get it off those premises until December 6th. And it was supposed to be gone in like October. And so I, I felt horrible. And I was like contacting the property owners constantly being like, here's rent. Like, can I give you rent until I can just get this thing off your property for several reasons? A, I didn't realize how overbuilt he had done the, the shoring as well as the skirting, as well as the decks and the porches he had on the house. And secondly, because it's not legally a trailer anymore and it's a house, but it's also not technically a house by the definitions of the MTO standards. It took us 
months to find someone that could actually move this thing because and I didn't know this and I'm sure many people don't know this. There's different grades of truck drivers with different licenses and different companies have different kinds of licenses. And so it took us months to find someone that can actually move this stupid building uh, because of how over-engineered and overbuilt it was. Uh, the thing weighs 35, yeah, 35, maybe 40 ton. I'd say 35 with all the things built into it. Yeah, it weighs about 35 ton, and then it had special, like it had a, a pintle hitch hook. Most people have a ball hitch, all that kind of stuff. So we had to buy ball hitches, and then we had to get people out to help me actually dismantle everything and then move everything, because nothing could stay on the premises when we were done. Nothing could stay. So that was fun. And so that's why you didn't see a lot of podcasts last fall either, uh, was because we were trying to just get this thing moved. I spent, I would say, just under a month of my entire fall last year working on this house, trying to get it ready to move, trying to get it legal to move, trying to get all the things figured out. And it took us until December 6th. And I've got a shout out to Rye, the adventure guy, my dear co-host who's not here with me right now. He was one of the main dudes there with me all the time. Not all the time, but he was there quite a bit. Uh, Chris Dutton, who's one of our listeners and one of our supporters on Patreon, amazing dude. It was like our, I think officially our first time meeting in person. And he's like, you want me to just come up on my weekend off and I can just help you take things apart and dismantle things. It's like, yes, yes, yes. That would be great. Thank you so much. Uh, so many different people. My brain is just going like a mile a minute right now. The, the main person, like two people I really need to shout out outside of those two were of course my father who came up on two separate occasions to help just get things out of there and moved back to where he is in Buck. He wasn't in Buckhorn at the time and, uh, or to my place. So like parts of the old decks and porches, all the equipment, um, he, he really did drop everything, come out and spend a lot of time helping me. And like, it's one of the many reasons that we have a, we had a, we had a really beautiful relationship. Um, in my eyes, probably thought differently. He probably definitely thought differently. <laughs> um, but of course, Matt Buyaki. Matt Buyaki, uh, Matthew Buyaki, who you've heard on the podcast before when we were talking about um, winter preparedness when you're going out on tra and traveling. He was the mechanic, generational mechanic that came in to actually uh, do the episode with us. He's my blacksmithing mentor. I've known him uh, for a decade now, just under a decade. Actually, I think officially next week will be a decade of knowing Matt in person. And... Not only did he like stop doing other work for other people just to come out and help, uh, on two separate occasions, he either drove me there or drove me home because there was just no other logistics we could figure out to get me there or get me home. And then when my father passed in May, we had forgotten because of all the stress of the year of trying to get everything done. We had forgotten that a broken trailer that belonged to my father had been left at the neighbor's place and with a bunch of junk in it and the neighbor rightfully so called him like, Hey, you said this stuff would be gone before winter. It's now late spring. Uh, what the hell? And Matthew got up from helping me and my family grieve for my father on like this, the very second day after my father passed and drove three and a half hours out to Alliston to pick up all that stuff, fix that trailer. So it'd be road legal and bring it back. Like, there is no words to describe how much I love every person that came out and helped in any little way. 
Emily Martins, everybody. I love all of you so, so very much for helping. And I will never stop loving all of you. You are an amazing group of people. If you touched that building or helped steady a ladder or anything, I love you. You're amazing. So we had a dream home. We got it here in, late, in early December and then we moved it here to the property. But to get it onto the property, we had to do some stuff. We had to clear the property of trees and we had a lot of trees to clear. Um, and we had to get a pad poured. The pad has probably been the most, hands down, the most expensive part outside of the house itself. That pad cost us uh, just shy of 15000 like fourteen nine. 15, like, let's just round up $15,000 just for the pad, the foundation to put this house on, which blows my mind how expensive concrete can be and excavation. And they didn't even do it right. <laughs> I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to slander the company, but the, I, I laid out with, with ropes and, and sticks exactly the, sh- the, the direction I want the pad poured, uh, because we're we're running it on solar. I want the solar panels facing exactly where they need to go. And I, so I spent like weeks and months, really over several years, observing the sun in my area and where it is at peak times and times when I need energy and all that kind of stuff. And I lined it up. I spent weeks at that specific location, making sure the marks were perfect. And then they came up and went, well, that's not perpendicular with the road. That's going to look kind of off angle. And so they just made it perpendicular to the road and made it like way off by like 15 degrees, which, hey, it's not going to ruin at the end of the day. The solar panels are still going to pick up enough energy to run what we need. And if not, we just get some more solar panels, whatever. So, so far we need to get the pad poured. We need to make an area for the pad. That was huge labor. Uh, to get everybody together and actually dig and, and cut down these trees. We had purging buckthorn up the wazoo. We had, (coughs) um, black locusts both up and down. (coughs) We had so much going on with the trees and thankfully we got people like my buddy, Ben, my buddy Radic, who are very good sawyers. They know how to run a chainsaw much, much better than I ever will. And they were dropping things like crazy and getting things done amazingly quickly and efficiently and safely. That's the biggest thing was trying to be safe with this whole operation. Um, (coughs) Pardon me. Still dealing with COVID lung. I'm trying to keep it from coughing on the mic. So hopefully I'm not bursting your eardrums. But, and then like Ryan and me just, and my buddy Keith and his brother Tim and all these different people coming in and taking all that brush and just incinerating it right down to ash and charcoal and spreading the ash and charcoal through the ground so it'll help the forest, the property, and everything else. Biochar. Just remember the biochar rants I've had in the past. Talking about terror preda and all that kind of stuff. Um, We cleared an area big enough for now. That'll work for where the house will be. And then we'll begin to clear everything else as the winter progresses. This coming winter is the plan. Start dropping the poplars, start dropping more locusts down the hill, clearing up more. So we have more room for us, more room for the garden, more room for the ducks, more room for the outbuildings that we need. And then we're going to begin reforesting with hardwood native trees that are more beneficial for the area than just poplars and locusts and box elders. Um, not that those aren't beneficial trees, but we want ones that are going to be more beneficial to the ecology in the long term. Things like butternut, things like pawpaw, things like American persimmon, American sycamore, um, walnuts, 
butternuts. I think we said butternuts already. Shrubs that are native shrubs, all that kind of stuff. That's the plan is to, once we, once we cause all this devastation, basically deforest, we want to reforest, but we need to do some landscaping before then, um, swales and things like that, but also just leveling the ground because the entire property is a big hill. It's like a big 50 to 60 degree angle hill all the way down to the lake. And for that, we need to make sure that a, our runoff is not going to be bad. So we need to excavate. We need to do things like that. So we need room for the machines. So that was the first job was clear trees, clear the area, mark off the pad, have the pad poured. They poured it incorrectly. The pad is good, but it's just not in the right direction that I wanted, but it'll, it'll work. <coughs> and then from there, we need to, um, begin the landscaping and getting things in. So once the house finally got delivered, which took us until July of this year to again, organize stuff with the truck drivers and get it into position, um, we were able to install it and it's been there since July. We shored it back up. It needs to be adjusted a little bit. Luckily it's just a little adjustment. So we just need a tractor for like 10 minutes to get it realigned and get it straight. But, uh, we've got it shored up temporarily. And what we're doing right now is dealing with plumbing. Everything for plumbing has to be by the book and it has to be a hundred percent, uh, accepted by chief and council or else we've got to gut the whole thing and start again. Uh, so we have cistern, uh, that currently one cistern will have two cisterns by the spring. Um, if not by early summer, um, installed underground 18 inches below ground so that they are completely buried and insulated so they don't, the water tanks don't freeze in the winter so that we don't have to expend a lot of energy trying to keep the tanks, the cisterns warm so, and keep the pipes warm and everything else. So we have to excavate that hole. That's the one thing we haven't done yet there. And then we also have to excavate for our, our gray water and the gray water cistern or is actually a, it's a, it's a filter system. We'll be going in between the house and the rain cistern or the water cistern. And it has to be very specially designed so that when it pours out of there, and if there's any effluence of any kind from the sink or the shower, it's not going to affect the ecology or anyone downhill because the next person downhill is my mother. And I don't want to be giving her poisoned water. So that's a big concern as well. Um, beyond that, electrical the the electrical in the house is good we're actually like three days away from the electrician coming in to ins reinstall the solar panels that we had to rip off the roof uh set up the new solar panel batteries uh redo the inverter redo the electrical to make sure it all meets the co the current codes uh building codes and that we're good and nice and clean there and then we have listen, a little bit more landscaping to do after that, uh, building the driveway, leveling the ground so we can start bringing in shipping containers that are going to be our storage, as well as our upcoming shop, our workshop, uh, as well as our podcast loft. We're, we're getting all that stuff worked on right after that, uh, as well as propane for heat currently. The plan next year is to do some expansions. We'll talk about the expansions in a moment. So the expansions are the next part, and that's where... Things get more creative. So rain cistern, it's not enough one. We got to have two. So in the spring of 2023, we will be digging another pit, putting in another cistern. And that'll help hold enough water for about, by my math, two cisterns collecting rainwater should be able to handle about two months to three months 
water use because we're not flushing toilets, which is a huge part of um, water usage is your flushing toilet. We have a composting toilet, uh, a very, very good composting toilet. Like I'm very, like that was one of the selling features on this house to me. Um, second thing of water use is laundry. Well, we're not gonna be doing laundry at our place. We're going to either be using, um, non-electric and, uh, one load kind of washing capacity with one of those, like, looks like an RT, R2D2 from Star Wars with a foot pedal. And we can do that if we need to just wash something that day, but we won't likely be doing that a lot. Um, <clears throat> that's one of those, like, we're not a hundred percent off grid. So what our washing situation is going to be for the interim is going to be laundromat in town. Uh, neighbors or friends who are okay with us using their, their washing machine once in a while, if we chip in some money for water use and electrical, but drying won't be a problem because a, that's not using water. B it doesn't have to, in the summertime, it can just be hung up outside. We're gonna have clotheslines everywhere because why not? Uh, that's what I've been doing for years. I, I haven't really used a dryer in my house outside of like winter time. Uh, two or three years now. Most of the time I just hang them up if, I, if it's cooler out, like it's this time of year, you know, mid-October, I hang them in the bathroom, close the door, hang them in my bedroom, close the door. And when the heat turns on, they dry in there and it actually humidifies, makes the house a little bit more humid, which is perfect for my breathing. Um, but yeah, that's like laundry and flushing are two of the large portions of water consumption in a modern house. We're not having either of those. Washing our bodies, drinking water, those will be still happening and cooking water and dish water. Uh, those will be the main consumables or consumables in our off-grid house. So we're going to be using a lot less water than the average household. So it's really hard to get a gauge on like, okay, how much water do you need in your house per month? It really does depend on what you're using water for. If you're uh, composting your, uh, your, your waste and you don't use laundry in the same way, like you don't have a washing machine, you're using a lot less water, still drinking a lot of water. You need like a gallon of water, two, uh, well, we've had this talk before. We did the wild water episode, two liters to a gallon of water a day per person, uh, to be safe for drinking. And then of course, bathing water, dish water. Those are like the main things cooking. Of course, when you make some spaghetti, you got to get some water in there. Yada, yada, yada. But those will be like the main uses of water in our house. So there's not too much of a concern with the two cisterns. Each of them will be about either shy of 2,000 gallons or just over 2,000 gallons each. Uh, there's one I'm actually looking at right now that's about a 5,000 gallon unit, but that's going to take a lot more space to fill, but it'll also hold a whole lot more water. Kayla, why don't you just dig a well? Well, uh, first off, that's expensive. Finding a good water line. Now, luckily in our community... <coughs> couple of things. First off, most of the water table has been mapped for my community. So we know where to put a well on my property. So that wouldn't be expensive. The finding of the well, d drilling of the well can be expensive because we can't have dug wells in the community anymore. It has to be drilled only, which is fine. The second part to that is we're going to have municipal water in the next three years in the community. They're building a water treatment plant as we speak. They're, they've been marking, getting ready to put in everybody's pipes uh, I don't know if they'll, if we'll be eligible because we're be, we're going to be off the main drag where everybody else lives. We're going to be up the hill. Uh, we're going to be about 200 yards away from everybody else's, uh, water. So potentially in the future, we might be on the grid again for drinking water. And because uh, we've never had drinking water in my community, it's all been wells and these wells have very poor water for drinking. 
But anyways, the main reason I do not have a well at this new place is we live exactly five meters, like five meters from the cemetery, downhill from it. And there is formaldehyde, benzene, God knows what other stuff in that ground and in that ground water. So no, I don't want a well. <laughs> so it's rain cisterns. The current problem with the house is there's not enough roof for the rain cisterns to collect enough rain on a given rainstorm. And that's something we've been well aware of, no pun intended, for a long time now. On the other hand, we're planning expansions and we're planning builds of other buildings and those can all be connected to those cisterns. For example, we're going to be putting up um, a bunkie. The living room. So like the, the current living room is, ooh, let's say 14 by 12 at, at best, at, at absolute best. I would say it's a lot narrower than that, probably closer to uh, eight or nine by 14, not a lot of room there. So we're going to be expanding the living room to have a little bit more room for everybody. Make one part of the dining room, maybe the other part of the living room. That'll be just like a big porch on the front that we're going to have as a subfloor insulated hardwood floor on top of that. And then fully screened in fully, uh, sorry, fully boarded in, uh, insulated, insulated roof, yada, yada, yada. So it'll be an extension of the house. It's not just going to be like a, a porch or a sunroom it'll be an actual extension of the house um, that'll have an extension of the roof as well and that'll include that'll increase more rain uh, collection for the rain cistern then we have uh, it's actually sitting on the front lawn of our current place um, a, uh, basically a bunkie from my bunkie so that'll be getting uh, put up there as a library for all of Emily's books uh, her own little kind of nook so she has her own privacy and can get away because it's going to be very tight quarters. Like, no matter how many extensions we add on to this thing, until it becomes like, you know, 1,200 square feet or something like that, which it probably will never get to, it's going to be tight quarters. So she'll want her own space. So we got her this uh, bunkie that she's, we're going to convert into a library once it's up there. That's going to have a roof. That'll be collecting rain. These shipping containers that we were talking about, we're also going to be putting up another bunkie that's going to be like guest quarters. We're also going to be putting an extension on for the kids' room, for, for my little guy's room. Uh, all that kind of stuff is put it being put onto the building, plus the bunkies, plus the outbuildings, the shipping containers, which will probably have lean-to roofs put onto them to catch rain, uh, as well as double as like solar panel uh, uh, installation points, because we're going to want to have more power for the workshop and such, such not such. I can speak English just fine. Um, all that, all that kind of stuff is going to be happening. We're talking about putting up in by 2024, a cooking pavilion. So we're going to be cooking outside, not heating up the house every, uh, every day in the summertime. We can be baking bread outside. We can be roasting meat outside. We can be uh, processing corn outside, boiling maple syrup at my house instead of out in the, out in the sugar bush, which like has benefits, has detriments. I can get a good night's sleep because I'm right there beside my bed. Um, that's one benefit. The downside to it is we kind of lose the ambiance of being at Camp Mud, boiling maple syrup and boiling it down to sugar and all that kind of stuff. So there's like gives and takes with it. Um, 
But yeah, the cooking pavilion, outdoor dining kind of space will also have a roof. So all this will be able to be trickled over to the cisterns and collect water from the cisterns. From there, you got to consider what you need for rainwater to be clean. Um, birds land on roofs all the time and birds crap on roofs all the time. So E. coli is always going to be in the game plan uh, of concerns. You also have other diseases and parasites that birds can carry. So you're going to need at minimum a blue filter, uh, which is like the classic household filter that everyone's seen uh, to catch sediment and such, as well as a UV filter to kill parasites and kill viruses and whatnot. Like you're going to need those minimum. But if you look at recent research, like this past summer alone, heavy research came out of several journals on PFAs, uh, chemicals in rainwater that are detrimental to human health and detrimental to the environment, to be perfectly frank. Like the fact that this is still ongoing is one of the many reasons I want to move off grid because I want to get further and further away from all this horrible shit that we're doing to our environment. I want to be one of the people trying to do something positive, even in a small amount. Um, not trying to criticize anybody who lives in the city or lives in a modern house, but I want to get off grid for my ethics and for my morals. And those are just mine. I can't compare them to yours. I can't judge you on your ethics and morals compared to my ethics and morals because it doesn't make sense to do that. But for me, yeah, I need to get further away. So luckily we have a carbon filter also being put in uh, that's already been installed in the system. Our plumbers have been phenomenal. Dustin and the boys, I don't even know. I, I very much doubt that they'll ever listen to one of these podcast episodes. They know we do them. They know that what my company is. But I very much doubt, as much as they're good friends and very kind guys, uh, friendly, I wouldn't say we're outright friends because I pay them to do work for me, and I don't think that's a good... Well, there's some reciprocal... Anyways, listen, I'm not going to get into the dynamics of what makes a person a friend of yours. But anyways, um, phenomenal dudes who've been doing a lot of the work on the plumbing because... As much as I'd like to make it sound like I'm doing all this on my own, I'm not licensed to do that stuff. I'm not licensed to be an electrician. I'm not licensed to be a plumber. I'm not licensed to be a propane installer for the heating and all that kind of stuff and for the stove in the house. Therefore, I have to pass that over to people who are more experienced and qualified and licensed and certified if I want my house to be to code. I want my house to be to code. Therefore, I'm going to go that direction. Um, at no point are you going to see me say, I'm a survival instructor. I've been doing bushcraft and survival for 20 plus years. I can build an off-grid house completely on my own. I would burn that place down within a week if I built it myself from, from, from every angle. No one person could or should be the source of information for every aspect of a house build, especially an off-grid house, because I very much doubt a person who has enough inspiration uh, enough in um what's the word? enough experience on how the plumbing should be all done would also have the same insight on how much should be done for the power wattage and lighting and everything else for the solar right it would be absurd of me to assume one person can do all of those things effortlessly at the same level of quality right what would be great is if we had companies that had a plumber, electrician, propane, wood stove, whatever, all together in one business. That'd be great because then they could build your house from beginning to end. And I'm sure there's businesses out there like that. They don't exist around me. If they do, man, do I want to support their cause because that's an awesome thing to do. 
<clears throat> but anyways, um, plumbing has been phenomenal. We're going to be getting, once the propane has been installed, we'll be having them install a propane on-demand water heater for the shower as well as hot water for the house. And that's pretty much all that needs to be done at the end. We need to finish the hookup for our gray water, get up the uh, get the cisterns in the ground for the actual hookup. They've already installed our, our jet pump. They've already installed our filtration. They've already installed all the other little things that need to be done. The drainage and everything has been finished. It just needs to be connected to the to the gray water and connected to the cistern. And then we have beginning to end of our water. And then outside of where the gray water is going to be, I'm going to be burying hundreds of pounds of charcoal around that system so that whenever it does bleed out its liquids those liquids which may still have some contaminants in it from phosphorus in our phosphates in our dishwater um you know bacterium all that kind of stuff will go into the charcoal creating more and more of a biochar reservoir in the ground around our home so that we're actually helping the environment the, the, the gray water filter that's being installed is designed by engineers and all that kind of stuff. That is already doing its part. <coughs> Pardon me. But we can do more, so why not? So we're going to surround it with charcoal at least two feet deep, uh, probably several feet wide, all around the entire system and that will uh, for the gray water system. And that will, A, prevent any runoff concerns. B absorb whatever does get out of that gray water system and put it to use that's like the main thing is putting things to use holding things is not something i'm interested in um it's the same reason i don't want a septic tank we 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 decided we didn't want to waste water clean water whether it's like there's ways to get creative and i think the future in ontario should be that all toilet flushing water comes from your gray water it comes from your sink. Uh, it comes from your shower. I think that's where we should be going for all citizens and all households uh, in the next 10 years. Like just to, just to make as much use of that water before it gets thrown into a septic tank or thrown into a sewer. I think it should be used a couple of times at least. But in our household, we decided we want as little water waste as possible. Again, we're going to be drinking water. We're going to be washing dishes with water, washing our bodies with water, laundry occasionally, and then figuring that all, that aspect out. But we want to make sure that we're not wasting water, just flushing our shit down the drain and into a holding tank of some sort, whether it's a septic, an actual proper septic with a weeping bed and everything else, or a holding cistern. I, I don't want either of those. I want nothing to do with those. If I have to choose one or the other, it'd probably be the holding tank and then have someone truck it to a better location to actually treat it and use it. But we chose composting toilet because it makes the most sense for us. Um, it may not work for us forever because it's quite a tall system and who knows, I might break my back in the next 10 years or 20 years. We will be living in this house effectively into our to the day we die. This is going to be like our forever home. And so there's always a possibility that we just get too old to get up onto a composting toilet like this system that we currently have. The Sunmar is quite tall. It's about twice the height of your usual toilet. And it has like a little walking platform you get up onto to get into there because you need to have enough room for the holding of all the waste to then turn it, churn it, and mix it into compost with carbon-rich materials. And then you take it all out through the drawer system. 
uh, or the VIN system and then put that into an actual composting system that uh, we're still working on that part that should be figured out by the end of this month, by the end of October. And then when everything's hooked up, we'll have that system ready to go. Um, it's basically just a big plastic bin that has no perforations at the bottom that you let the compost sit in and you fill it up once a year and you put another bin beside it and fill that up and you basically anaerobically digest through compost uh, through compost you can't really thermophilically in that system i would love to do thermophilic but there's always the risk of runoff with her with a with an open pit with an open compost bin or open compost pit or open compost pile there's always the risk of runoff and yes I could surround it with like three feet deep charcoal and make a com uh, concrete basin that holds all the waste and all that kind of stuff. There's still going to be a chance of runoff. And if there's a chance, we can't do it. Okay? Again, I grew up during the Walken and water crisis. And Walken has done amazing work. And Canada has done amazing work to mitigate that risk from ever happening again pre preventing that ha from happening i don't want to take us a step back <laughs> you know i don't want it so that my mother suddenly gets e coli and is jaundiced looking and yellow and sick all the time and her kidneys are failing and then we find out oh it's because caleb put his poo outside and let rain get on it and wash it downhill into her well i don't need that Okay, I don't need my community looking at me as the cause for our problems. That's not something I need. So getting the proper kind of cisterns and holding tanks and everything else like that is vital. It's it's necessary. It's it's mandatory in my opinion. So from beginning to end of our water, that's of our and our usage and waste and collecting of foods and waters and turn converting that into wastes, that's where it's all going. Is urine and feces is gonna go into the compost. And then it's going to get composted in a sealed, uh, fr from the bottom seal, there's going to be a lid on the top um, system that I don't fully grasp how that works yet, but our plumbers ha are working on it. They're bringing it over. It's already engineer designed, all that kind of stuff. <coughs> so that'll be here hopefully in the next few weeks to the month. Uh, and then that'll be taken care of. And that'll be our water and waste, Okay. Electricity should be finished sometime by this weekend, all hooked up, and we can actually start charging our batteries and start getting power in the house and turning the lights on up there and running stuff. It'll be great. That That's all awesome. And then, uh, so the electrical is good. We just, uh, we may get more solar panels down the road as we get more roofs. So once we put the extensions on the house, we might throw some more panels on there. Uh, if we, when we get the, um, Shipping containers, which will be the, like the last thing we talk about because it's like the future plans, the deep future plans, like a year or so down the road. Um, we might set up some east-west solar panels to collect more sunlight at like the times of day that we're using it the most. Um, and that, there's like, I think it's called the duck chart or the duck line because it looks like the back of a duck when you look at the, the actual like, chart. Um, of when peak use is and peak sun is are two very different things. When do we use the most lights in our house? Early morning, late evening, into nighttime, right? Those are where we use the most light. At lunchtime, we're not using a lot of lights because there's a lot of sunlight out. And therefore, 
you have this duck shape that has like the belly and the bill and all that kind of stuff. And the peak point of the most amount of sunlight is when we're not using a lot of light. So like when we have the most enough power to run the lights, we're not using it. So you need a lot of batteries and that's just not as efficient. And then during the peak points of light use, you're draining those batteries. And so at the east and western portions of your property, there's light that your solar panels aren't tapping into. And it's at the peak times that you would actually want a little bit more juice. So when we get the shipping containers, they're always they're clearly gonna have flat roofs. Um, it makes more sense to put up an east-west on there instead of trying to set up a frame structure for angled solar, right? It's gonna make more sense to put them up like that and put a few less batteries on that system because we can use that charge real quick. We can they can be charging while we're using them kind of thing. Um, it's a very complicated thing I'm not going to get into in deep, deep detail because it's going to make me sound like a complete idiot because I'm just listening to the experts and not fully, I'm not an electrical dude. I don't play with electricity. I got shocked three times when I was like 18 years old and I've never wanted to be shocked again, so I just stay away from that shit. Uh, I let the professionals handle it and I trust their advice and I'm just listening to what they tell me and what they recommend. Will we put up wind turbines? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the bladed turbines for a few reasons. I'm waiting to see where the future of bladeless wind turbines goes. That's where I'm interested in seeing where it where it goes. Um, I don't want to be putting up no fake trees with propellers that are then going to have pigeons and stuff try to land on those on those way on those branches and injure themselves i'm not interested in that i want the bladeless turbines that are just a, basically a tower and sometimes they get shimmied by the wind and they create kinetic energy that gets converted in inverted into regular acdc energy um that's that's the kind of stuff i'm fascinated but that's not going to be happening anytime soon because they're not affordable yet when they're affordable you'll see me lining my driveway with them and putting them on top of every surface that is up in the trees of my property um so yeah electricity by the time of this recording being aired we may have electricity in my new house already which will be cool and once the electricity and the plumbing is done and the propane is done and we'll get into the heat situation with the propane in a moment <coughs> we're going to be uh skirting it off with about two to three inches of thick insulation that'll get us to about our between R12 and R15 down below the house, like down where the current wheels are and the shoring and everything, where all, all these wires and pipes are going, we want to have really good insulation. Uh, a, to, st uh, to protect all that kind of stuff from damage. The jet pump and everything else are under the house, so we want to make sure it's insulated really well. The second part of that is because when we got this place, we were checking out his actual stats because he took the, the dude that we bought off was like recording his experiment of living off grid in this house. And he noted that at all times, and he lived in a, in a valley over near Allison that would receive like minus 40 for a couple of days to a week every winter of the last eight years that he lived there. And consistently under the house was three degrees Celsius. 
which is cold. Don't get me wrong. People die of hypothermia at that temperature. You're just three degrees above freezing. But that's a really good temperature to store food at. And so if we have rodent-proof containers that we can put all of our potatoes, all of our produce from the garden, um, meat that we're going to eat in a week or so, or a week or less, um, cold storage for curing meats, I want to hang a bunch of prosciutto that I made at a goose breast, or I want to, you know, make salami or all that kind of stuff, I can hang them down there with a fan that's just moving air across them. The fan can be hooked up to our solar panels, and it's just keeping, it's saving my fridge space in the wintertime, but it was also consistently above 10, uh, rarely above 10 degrees in the summertime down there. So like this is a good, consistent, cool temperature. So in the summertime, I can be storing other things like canned goods and stuff down there instead of having to fill up and building building a root cellar, which we might build still. We don't know. In the future, we might have a root cellar on the property. I don't know yet. Um, we're planning on expanding the gardens quite a bit in 2023 and 2024. Like The gardens are going to become massive here. We're going well beyond the quarter acre homestead project. We're going into full like acreage gardens. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, anyways, with the skirting that we're going to be creating, it's going to be a, between two and a half and three inches thick of this dense material foam insulation um, with wooden skirting that will have hinges on it so I can lift it and close it A to be able to get in there do maintenance work on the house B to be able to store things under the house yada 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 that's like the next step after everything else has been done by the professionals I can do the skirting that's not a problem I, I know what I'm doing with that kind of stuff <coughs> pardon me so with all of that organized the next thing is propane why are we going to propane? Um, mainly because the house currently has a hookup for propane. It has access for a propane furnace that is already in there. Just needs to get checked by a good friend of mine who's a propane uh, furnace worker. Uh, he's going to do a check over, make sure that the furnace is running well and clean and safe. And then he's going to hook up our propane to it, but also our cook stove and oven are propane run. Propane is one of the cleaner burning... Uh, natural uh, natural gas or petroleum byproducts that are out there. Is it the most sustainable? Mm, not really, but it's decent for what we're what we're doing for now. It's going to be more affordable and more accessible, and that's a part of off grid living and a lot of things that people miss out on is accessibility. Are is it the most environmentally mindful thing? Maybe not, but is it the most accessible to people that do not have a huge bank account? Yes. You listen to like um, Ryan Reynolds and one of the dudes from, I can't remember his name right now, my brain's fried, uh, from, they both own, oddly enough, a, a football team or a rugby team together. Um, well, no, it's a football team. It's a soccer team. <coughs> um, oddly enough, both of them very physically fit dudes. And you listen to them, they're talking about how they stay as fit as they do. And it's basically get rid of all other aspects of your life other than just working out, which means you can't have a job. You can't have kids. You can't have, you know, a social life because that all has to go out the window to look like that. Right? So is that accessible to someone that needs to make 
a certain amount of hours a day to make a living wage. And they have two or three kids and they've got bills to pay and they've got all this stuff happening. Is that accessible? No. And is it sustainable? Probably not. But everybody likes looking like Brad Pitt in Fight Club. So from that analogy, a lot of people will complain about um, this is not the most you know, ethical or the most mindful thing. You're right, but is it accessible? To me, if a single mother of three on a native reserve in central Canada, whether that's in, uh, in Alberta or Manitoba or what have you, Saskatchewan in between them, if she could afford it, then that's that's the standard we need to go by of what can she afford to live on and depend on in her home. What is it? There's sustainability and there's accessibility. And those are two very big differences. There's very big difference between sustainable and, and, and accessible in both in pros and both in cons. Currently with our budget and currently with what we have available to us on the property and what's already in the building, propane is accessible. Will it be sustainable? Probably not. I'm not a big believer in the petroleum world. But it'll be accessible for now while we get everything else squared away. When you're living off-grid, you should always have redundancies. And so propane alone is not something I'd want to be dependent. And even with a modern house, you should have to pay, you should have redundancies. Think about, go back to that episode about me and Ryan talking about surviving the derecho. People lost power across the province <coughs> into Quebec devastated their livelihoods devastated their homes lost power for days some in some places weeks we had a generator we by the second by the morning after the storm hit we had a generator keeping our freezers our fridge our lights on in the home we didn't have running water at the time, but we had access to water. Turn it, tune into that for that. But even in a modern house, you should have redundancies. Um, I'm a big believer that if they're done safely and they're installed safely, they're designed safely and installed safely, wood stoves are great. And as long as you maintain them properly and have them serviced regularly, they're great. So... What we're planning is when the extension project begins, which will be sometime in the spring of 2023, we will be adding an extension to the house that will be the extension of the living room, uh, and there will be a wood stove installed in there. And that's part of it, is a properly designed, well-designed, well-executed, and well properly installed wood stove. Because we have all this locust wood that we have to clear off the property. Locust... Let me tell you about some locust wood. Locust is a very unique tree. Um, it's a pseudo-acacia. It's not a proper acacia. It's related to acacia. Um, and it was native here in Ontario about ten to 12,000 years ago. We've got to think about the natural history, not just our history. Forget the Anthropocene. Think about the Pleistocene and everything else. Up until the heavy Wisconsin glaciation and the Laurentide glaciations, Locust trees grew here. 
black locust, honey locust, Kentucky coffee tree, which is a distant relative as well. They're all part of the legume family and all that kind of stuff. All grew here. And then 10 to 12,000 years ago, glaciers pushed south again and wiped out those trees. They couldn't handle the extreme cold. Over the last 200 years, these trees have been slowly creeping back up into Ontario. And now we have locust trees along most of Rice Lake. And some people define them as invasive. They're invasive in human time. But they were here 10 to 12,000 years ago. That, to me, it's a success story. They, they, things that don't have feet of their own that can walk came home. Like, this is, to me, they're not an invasive species. Can be a problematic tree? Yeah, they can get right into your life and mess your life up if they want to. Uh, I had a little war for about five years with locusts on my property because they kept sending up shoots all through my yard because they were just following the rhizomal root system of the tree and sending up shoots and sending up shoots and you'd be walking along and suddenly somewhere where you walked three days ago has a thorny little sapling that's like pinky thick and you're wearing shorts and you just got stabbed across the thigh by this thorny little bastard that wasn't there the last time you were there so believe me i get it there, there's problems with the locust trees. But in my eyes, they're freaking cool. They're one of the densest hardwoods we have in this region. They're up there with like hickory and ironwood and Osage orange and stuff. Like they're up there in density. Their Janka hardness, whatever you want to describe it, their density is incredible. So dense wood burns longer because it takes longer for the heat of the fire to penetrate deeper because of thermal mass and density, thermal density is specifically what we're talking about there. But also because the wood is so hard, not just dense, it's, it's, it's hard wood. The second part that's, so it burns really well. It, it burns long and slow and hot for a long time. Um, that's one big benefit. So one quart of locust burns completely different than a quart of ash or a quart of maple. Like a, a bush cord, a full cord, a face cord, whatever. It, it burns longer. You, that, will, that pile will last you longer. So having a lot of locusts stacked up as firewood, great. Is the smoke uh, toxic? No. Is it deadly? No. The smoke is going through a, a chimney anyway, so I'm going to smell the smoke. I'm not going to be breathing it in. And breathing in any smoke is harmful because of carbon monoxide and whatnot. But locust wood also doesn't rot. Like, it just doesn't. It, it'll last, some in some situations, in the right conditions, 250 years sitting on the ground. In areas where they don't have juniper, like the, red, the eastern red cedar or eastern white cedar to make rail ties, sorry, not rail ties, sorry, um fence posts and fence ties they use locust because it'll last as long if not longer than the cedar and they're pretty decent at splitting like they don't when they get mature they don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of uh, knots they're very twisty trees they they look amazingly subtropical to me like they look beautiful to me but anyways we found when we were doing the clearing of this property uh, we found like 10 or 15 locusts that were down, and they've been down for decades. Like the canopy had completely re-enveloped the area where those trees had come down in a storm decades ago. We're talking like 
these trees have been on the ground in wet clay for 30 years. And when I cut into the first one, it threw sparks. Like my chainsaw just threw sparks. And I pulled my chainsaw out, readjusted everything, resharpened it, had one of my buddies who's a chainsaw operator, professional sawyer, go over it and make sure everything's good. Yep, you're good to go. Cut into the second cut. Went back into the cut that log. Didn't throw sparks. But it took me like a good four minutes to cut through a 18-inch diameter log. Max 18. I would say closer to 16, maybe even 14 inches in diameter. Took me three minutes to cut through the first the first cut. Okay. Go to cut the second cut. Teeth are dull. Yeah, teeth dull, but usually not that fast. I mean like dull, dull. I don't mean like, oh, it's not as sharp as it was moments before. I mean like this thing can't cut the tree now. I had to sharpen my saw every cut of every locust log. And then I stacked it all for the winter and said, that's going to be my firewood for next year. And it was. We used the firewood this past summer. Um, not a lot of it. And even on logs that were like 8-inch diameter, I had to use a splitting mall. My axes would just bounce. They didn't have the mass and the velocity of swinging to drive into that wood cell. So we have firewood. We have a very good supply of firewood because I've only taken 10 to 15 of those locust trees down and bucked them. And there is many more to buck that are standing and many more on the ground that are not standing anymore that we can buck up and split and stack. And that'll be our firewood supply. The other trees that are on the property right now are buckthorn, purging buckthorn, uh, which is fairly dense itself. It burns pretty good as long as you dry it thoroughly. I usually give it a good like year, year and a half to dry out very thoroughly, and then it burns really nice and fairly clean. You don't let it dry. The smoke is really acrid and really nasty smelling, but also it, it just doesn't burn efficiently, so you're putting creosote into those stovepipe, into your chimney, which means you've got a fire hazard. Um, so dry it out thoroughly, peel the bark off if you can <coughs> with your purging buckthorn. And then the last tree that we have a lot of on the property is poplar. We have a lot of quaking aspen or large tooth aspen on the property. And they're good firewood when used properly. Um, my good friend, Chris Gilmore from Hunter's Journey and ChrisOutdoors.ca, um, he put out a really good TikTok the other day about why does he use poplar? And he uses poplar wood as a firewood in the shoulder seasons. Right now, you know, October, April, when it's not so cold. It, it's cool enough in the mornings and the evenings where you get kind of a chill. And you wouldn't mind having a little bit of heat from the wood stove. But you don't want that heat all day long because midday it's going to be sweltering if you've got a wood stove going. So that's where he uses poplar. And that's where I've used poplars because it burns up fast. Like if you load this wood stove with poplar wood, it'll burn nice and bright and hot. Then it'll warm up the house in the early morning, like 6 a.m., 5 a.m. And then by like 9.30, the fire is out, like completely out. It's gone right to, it's gone right to ash. There's barely any embers at all. Uh, I've never really seen poplar burn with embers, like not properly, unless you're forcing air on it and doing some stuff that's not natural. Um, it goes out. It just goes out. 
<coughs> so we're going to drop buck and split and stack the poplar for springtime and use it in the spring. And then we'll use it to whatever's left over in the fall. We can be sustainable using the right trees at the right time. That way I can save my locust wood and save my buckthorn wood for the wintertime where it's going to be damned cold. And we want that extra heat. In this way, if we can use the wood stove whenever possible, we can reduce our propane use and it's going to cost us less in the future. Now, how sustainable can we keep logging, uh, cutting them down? We're effectively this winter clear cutting this property. Um, effectively, there will be some trees left behind. Don't you worry. But then we're reforesting. We're putting in new hardwoods. We're putting in native hardwoods that have... A, we're going to leave some of the locust up. We're going to see it leave some of the buck, not some of the buckthorn, sorry, some of the um, box elders, some of the mantle maple that we have on the property. We're going to leave some of them. And then we're reforesting with like, again, butternut, walnut, uh, hickory, shagbark hickory, which I have shagbark hickory seeds, pawpaws. Um, all these kinds of trees and shrubs are going up on the property. As soon as we got this place cleared, and we get all the landscaping done that we need, we're reforesting with tall trees, understory trees, mid-story trees, shrubs, um, creeping vines, all that kind of stuff are going to come back onto the property and we're going to have it much more in, in an agroforestry kind of perspective. Um, it's, this is like silviculture. Like this is, we're trying to treat this as a living ecosystem. That we're just trying to fix because currently it's been affected very heavily by the buckthorn trees so we're trying to figure out ways how to do that so for firewood i'm going to have an acre and a half worth of wood cut dropped split uh, sorry cut dropped bucked split and stacked i'm going to have firewood for quite a while i'm not worried about the firewood and when we need to get more firewood, uh, we own properties that have wood, that have a lot of wood that we can sustainably harvest from and then replant new trees and keep the system moving forward. <coughs> Add the fact that we have a lot of neighbors that are always needing trees cut. And I've got a lot of buddies that are arborists and I can run a chainsaw myself. And we have a lot of access to firewood. I'm not worried about the wood stove in the wood stove in the wood supply direction as much as i'm worried about the propane with the propane uh, system so we're going to be doing pretty good with that we're going to be doing pretty damn good with that so once the propane is in that'll be like the last thing we need other than winterizing the windows uh, a few of the windows need to be replaced that'll be happening sometime in the winter time a uh, good buddy of ours uh staff member of canadian bushcraft going back to like 2013 casey uh professional glazer works glass He's going to be installing a lot of windows for us. Uh, we've got a few that are already good uh, from the previous owner who installed them himself a few years ago. Uh, we're gonna, he went them looked them over and went, these are fine, these are good. Now he's going to be installing new windows later, but for now he's just going to winterize. So we're not going to be losing a lot of heat and wasting money uh, on heating bills for the house. And then when he comes back and installs the new windows, bing, bang, boom, problems are all solved. We've got everything to look forward to. <clears throat> so all that's in the works for 2022 come 2023 first thing is the, the clearing of the land cutting all those trees getting it all landscaped come springtime it'll be getting landscaped and then re uh, reforested 
come spring, we get the second sister. It'll get hooked up by the same plumbers that have installed everything else. Uh, we're going to be putting in that, setting up that bunkie, hopefully before winter for the library, putting up another bunkie, hopefully sometime this late spring, early, uh, so, uh, sorry, um, early spring, late winter, pretty much right after the thaw and everything's nice and settled. We want to put up another bunkie that will be able to be used as a guest house for, for people who are staying over for a few days. Ride the adventure guy comes by. Um, my good friends Rob and Nia or Mikhail or anybody that wants to come up and stand, hang out with us for a while, they've got a place to stay. That's the plan with that bunkie because the living room is small. <laughs> the living room is going to be small. Even with the extension, it's going to be small. Couch surfing is not going to be the most efficient way to live here. Um, once those two buildings are up, we're bringing in shipping containers. And we're doing the extensions, the extensions to the roof, the extensions to the to the living room, all those kinds of things begin in the spring because we just don't have the time anymore. we got to focus on the priorities now and then focus on the big projects later. And that's okay. I'm, I'm always happy with having... A, people want to like just move in and think that their house is done. I have no problem with working projects in the works on a house as long as they are things that are easily attainable within certain time frames if we can get the extension of the house done by june i'm happy and then we can frame that all in decorate that do all of our stuff if we can get the wood stove installed by august so that we have the wood stove in and everything safetyed well before i have to worry about lighting a fire you know like as long as there's set goals that are attainable that make sense I'm okay with waiting for certain things to happen down the road. I don't need everything to be done now. Because that's going to... You can have time or money. You, you need to spend time or you need to spend money. And if you want things to happen now, you need to spend a lot of money. If you want to sp uh, spend a little bit of money, you need more time. <coughs> that's my experience in life. And I'm sure a lot of other people have said it more eloquently than I have, so I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm the genius that figured that out. But in my experience, if, if you have a lot of money, you can get a lot of things done quick because you can just keep throwing money at problems, right? If you don't have a lot of money, you need more time. Then you can get things done and you can plan things out as long as you set attainable goals and you are quick with your actions smart with your time you can do this pretty good so future projects the extension of the house the wood stove for that the room for the little dude uh his own personal bedroom when he's up here with me uh the one bunkie will already already be be up before this winter the second bunkie should be up early spring so those are done then when all those little things are done, and even during them, because this will be the easiest part of the whole process, we're building what we call, what we've been jokingly calling the compound. The compound is, originally we're going to do wood, and we're going to build these big, beautiful wooden structures to build this workshop slash storage slash podcast uh, studio, <coughs> recording studio for the YouTube videos and stuff. And then we realized, again, time versus money. We don't have a lot of money to do all this. Shipping containers, reasonably affordable, 
can be modified in really clever ways to become a whole bunch of different kinds of facilities. So we're buying two that are going to be about 20 feet long and your average shipping container wide. Um, and we're setting them up in an L shape. So like one, let's say, parallel with north and south, the other perpendicular to north and south. And they're going to meet together at the corner, like a, the uppercase letter or, yeah, uppercase L. The one closest to the house, which is going to be going along the road, is going to be turned into my workshop. We're going to add an awning to it, uh, like a metal steel roof awning uh, coming off the side towards the woods inside the property. And on the other side, we're going to be adding a roof to become a carport in the driveway for my wife's car, for Raya's car, for whoever. And on that roof, we're going to be putting solar panels because why the hell not? If you have a roof, put a solar panel on it. Um, the awning area that's on the inside of the property is going to become my smithy. That's where I'm going to be able to set up the forge proper, set up my anvil, set up my quench tanks, all that kind of stuff. <coughs> <coughs> really sorry, folks. I'm still dealing with this COVID lung stuff. Anyways, all that will be in where the smithy is, uh, where the awning is. And then the other part is we're going to be putting in the interior workshops like we actually are going to have a workbench we're going to have an actual uh moving area for like tools like we're going to have a bench uh bench grinders we're going to have belt sanders we're going to have a bandsaw all that kind of stuff set up in their own ways and this will allow us to open the doors and let out air let in air let out bad air let out dust all that kind of stuff the other shipping container is going to be storage flat out just storage whether it's uh, acting as a garden shed, tool shed, but it's also going to be holding like all of our camping gear, all of the sleeping bags I've accumulated over the years, all the tents we've accumulated. We can have them hung up, stretched out, airing out, so they're not just bundled up and collecting mildew and becoming houses for mice. We're going to have space to stretch out hammocks, all that kind of stuff. We'll build racks on the outside to store canoes, all that kind of stuff. And then on top of those, the plan is to put a 10-foot shipping container that is going to then be insulated and soundproofed. And it's going to have its own heat source. It's going to have all its own electrical hookup. And that's going to become our recording studio. That's going to be where we record the podcast. We have a nice dinner with a guest who wants to be on the show or we want them on the show. Walk them up the stairs. Watch the last bit of the sunset uh, up on the porch kind of area and then walk inside and boom we can start recording right there and it'll be soundproofed it'll be away from the house there will be less chaos like these two dogs that are now sleeping but earlier i had to wait an entire hour to finish this recording because these two wouldn't shut up because they thought my voice bouncing off the window where i'm sitting right now was someone else and so they're losing their minds we don't have to worry about that with the new podcast studio once that's built and that's like down the road these are plans that we hope to attain within the year i'm going to cherry pick out of like let's say there's 10 plans i'm going to cherry pick my top five favorite plans that have to be done and they're going to be the priorities and then everything else just kind of falls into place as we go is this affordable for us in our situation with our finances yes this is not what i recommend for anybody okay this is, you, you've got to take in context of accessibility, affordability, sustainability, and laws. These are like the four major things you got to think about when you're considering like off-grid living. And yeah, 
I'm sure there's enough of you out there that are saying things like, oh, come on, I don't have to worry about those laws. I'm a free individual. I'm a sovereign citizen. Sovereign citizen is redundant, not redundant, but kind of oxymoronic. Um, regardless of that, there's the real world, where if you just don't want to be dealing with headaches, you just make sure your stuff fits their rules. And if it doesn't fit their rules, but you have a lot of good evidence to support your cause, sit down with them and maybe help them make some new rules. Like, they're, they, as, as much as we want to, like, harp on politicians, small community politics can often be talked through and logic can be used and education can be used. Um, when we started this project, a lot of community members were not on board with it. And I'm not going to say that all of them are suddenly on board, but we have a lot more people cheering us on now than we did a year ago. That That's saying a lot to me. That's saying like a lot, a lot to me. So yeah, the, the off-grid life can be done in small scale in downtown areas. Set up a couple of solar panels with a professional electrician, a couple of batteries, tie that into your like uh, condo or whatever, if you're legally allowed to, and run off that stuff instead of using your uh, the, the, the electrical bill. Drop your electrical bill. Drop your water bill by doing certain things. Do your research. Again, I'm not a professional on off-grid stuff. I'm not an expert in any way, shape, or form, let alone one on off-grid living. I've lived off-grid for four months at a time. That was like the longest stint I did off-grid was four months. I want to make that very clear. This is going to be a life-changing thing for me. I'm just more aware of how it's going to change my life than other people would be because I've lived off-grid for a few months at a time. Like every year, four months of that year, I'd be off-grid. So I know what it's like to have an outhouse. I know what it's like to have to go and chop a hole in the ice and break the hose loose of ice so you can pump water up and get water to where you need it. <coughs> I've done those things. I've experienced those things. Uh, and so my eyes aren't, you know, I'm not looking at this with gross kind of glasses. I just know that this is what I want. And this is what we want as a family. And what we need as a community. This can be an inspiration for other members of our community to grow to an off-grid lifestyle in one direction or another. Maybe they set up some solar panels. Maybe they set up a rain system. Maybe they set up a composting toilet. Whatever it may be. All these aspects. And I'm sure a lot of people have been listening to the podcast like, man, Caleb's been really talking homesteading stuff a lot over the last like year instead of bushcraft. There's a reason for that. This has been my life for the last year. Doing homestead stuff. Building this off-grid. Developing this project. So that we can move out of this place and renovate this place into my mother's dream home. So that she can retire here and live a long, happy life as a grandmother surrounded by her grandkids and her kids and her nephews and nieces and her in-laws. All this family. This is for her as much as it is for me. And as much as for my family, like my direct family, my, my spouse and my little dude and the dogs and the cats. This is, this is for me and them. 
as much as for her so that she has a all this garden that we've been working on this this quarter acre homestead project has been a project I've been working on for her for three years now I want to build her so that when she moved into this place because I knew eventually she would move in here I wanted her to come in and have a garden already established that she can just play with and not have to do any of the heavy lifting on well, now she has that, and I'm going to be expanding it even further up the hill for her. So she has a garden that goes for hundreds of yards. And she doesn't have to do the heavy maintenance because I'm right here. She doesn't have to worry about how to take care of her home because I'm right here. This is, this is as much as I can do for my mother with the money I've got and the finances, financial stability that I have. And uh, the the physical ability that I have, I I can take care of her this way because she took care of me. She's taken care of me for thirty years, thirty plus years. If you're listening, I love you, Ma. Hopefully, you're not listening to this stuff because you're just hearing me rant about all this stuff that you've had to hear about for a year now. Anyways, um. I think the best way... Oh, my cat's coming over. She wants to cuddle. So if you hear some weird rustling and maybe it's a weird sound of a very small motorcycle, that's her purring probably. Um, I think the way to end this episode is to simply say like, there's ways to live sustainable. And there's li- ways to live ac- that are accessible to you. Little things, big things. Grow hydroponically by using your own DIY hydroponic systems. Uh, learn how to grow, you know, pollinator gardens and vegetable gardens all this kind of like sustainable uh, sustainable living we've talked about homesteading in the past this is just a further extension of homesteading we are moving off grid what are we going to do for electricity we got that covered what are we going to be doing for water we got that covered what are we doing for waste management we got that covered what are we doing for heat we got that covered what are we going to do for internet don't know yet <laughs> I've got like a month to go. Um, They're bringing fiber optic uh, internet to, or fiber optic, fiber internet to my community. Uh, It's been being worked on since the spring. And they're doing pretty good. I don't think we're qualified to get it where we're going to be living uh, yet. Further down the line, we might get it. Uh, We're looking at satellite internet, like space internet. We're looking at friggin' Elon Musk's stuff with, uh, what did he end up calling it, Starlink? Yeah, he didn't call it Skynet because I was too on the nose. Um, we're looking at Starlink. We're looking at all these systems and planning. Uh, we don't have a cut and dry answer yet, but we'll have it. That's like the last thing that we're really worried about is our internet. Because if need be, we can just come down here and use the internet router here and we're good. But... You know, by the next time you hear this episode, by the time you hear this episode, you might have, there already might be electricity in my home. And by the Halloween episode, uh, there might be full water running in the home. And then potentially by mid-November, we'll be recording episodes in a heated home that's got power, running water, waste management, comfortable bed, comfortable home cozy and it's completely off grid except for like propane hookup and it's like propane tanks when I say pro- I should have clarified that earlier when talking about the heat 
It's propane tanks. We don't have like a line coming up to my place. It's, so we're still technically off grid, but we still get parts of the grid connected to us, like the water tanker and then the propane truck kind of thing. But with all that, we're, we're going to be there. And I'm really excited about it. Scared about it too, but really excited about it. So, do your research. Watch some stuff on it. Talk to people who live off-grid. Visit people who live off-grid. See the aspects. See the pros and cons. If you do not like the idea of pooping into a receptacle and it just sitting there, and you might one day have to move that poop with your bare hands or with a pair of gloves on through from that receptacle to a different receptacle. If you cannot handle that, go and stay in an off-grid house and see what it's like. Because it's really not as bad as you think it is, especially when the system is done right. If you're afraid about where your water is going to come from, go live in an off-grid place for a little bit. You'll, you'll see what it's like. You can get ideas. There's nothing to be afraid of in off-grid. You just got to know what you're doing or know people that know what they're doing and trust them in guiding you. Like my electricians, like my plumbers, like my propane dude, all that kind of stuff. Be willing to listen and try your best. With all that said and done, this is the end of the podcast. I want to thank all of you amazing people. I want to thank our supporters at Patreon. I don't have a list of names in front of me right now, but I know Matt who just joined us on Patreon. I want to give a shout out to them. We've got a few other people who have joined us the last couple of weeks. Not a lot's been going on on Patreon, but there's going to be coming a lot more real soon. Pretty much at the start of this episode, you will be hearing announcements on Patreon of the things that are happening. So if you want more content from us other than the podcast, go over to patreon.com slash Canadian Bushcraft. Become a supporter on Patreon today. We love our patrons at Patreon. We're always trying to give them great kickbacks. We're always trying to do great things for them. So feel free to join us there. And as well, as usual, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, love one another, wash your damn hands.